Hi everyone and welcome to season two episode two of Bought by the Hour the podcast. I'm your host Jill Jones and I'm so glad that you're here to join us. Today we're going to do kind of a Q&A episode. I'm going to go over some of the questions that were submitted and then some of my most commonly asked. I am so glad you're here. I can't wait to answer some of your guys' questions for you. As always, before every episode, I want to insert a clear content warning. Some of the topics that we discuss are considered disturbing or triggering. I want you to consider this before listening any further. Some of the topics that we discuss are physical, mental, and sexual abuse, violence, trafficking, and drug use. Hey guys. All right. Just to jump right into this, I think um, some of the questions that I got were really good. There was a couple of repeats, um, but the first question that I got that I want to answer uh, was from Mr. Hoover, and he said, how can I help you in your next right step forward? Um, this kind of ties in with, so the question from Seth was just, how can I help you? Um, and that was the most commonly repeated question was just, how can we help? I think the biggest thing, um, you know, supporting things like this podcast, uh, is a big help. Number one, it makes me feel like, you know, there are people listening and I am able to make a difference in this avenue. Um, I think, you know, becoming a subscriber and helping, you know, just move things forward so that we can create awareness and so that we can give women hope to get out is, is a big deal. Um, and that would probably be the, the most helpful thing I could say right now is just support. Um, you know, the biggest things like when things go viral and stuff, it's because people share it and because word of mouth, you know, that's, they say that's like the best marketing is a referral from somebody that, you know, and so, like sharing this podcast, helping people become more aware of the problem, helping people become more aware of how it happens, how it can happen to you or your sister or your family members or your friends or, you know, so that would be where I'm at in my journey right now. That would be the biggest help for me personally. For someone who is just coming out, I think um, understanding and, you know, just love and support A lot of times that beginning help, you know, needs to be financial, which is never a comfortable thing Uh, for most people. (laughs) I personally hate asking for money. It like just really, maybe it's from the trafficking, who knows? (laughs) I just, I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation for me to have to ask people for money or to ask for help. Um, you know, I have some pride issues in that area, but that would be, especially if you're looking for an unspoken request, most girls, especially coming out from a place where, you know, they had to rely on somebody else. Like it's hard to rely on somebody else again, now that you're finally like free. So there were a lot of times where I needed help and I didn't say anything. And luckily people just kind of stepped up and, and filled those voids for me. Um, I think, oh, also, okay, so I got a question from Amy, and she just said, can I give you a hug? Um, Where I'm at now, yes, you can give me a hug. I will say, if you are encountering a fresh survivor, somebody who has just escaped, please do not give them a hug. For me, 
physical contact was a trigger. The only time I was touched was while I was being trafficked for that whole three and a half years was for profit. Um, I didn't really receive any like genuine love. And I, when I first got out, I did not know how to accept that. Um, I remember a man at church gave me a hug and I literally broke down crying because I couldn't figure out if A, he was just being nice or if B, he wanted to pay for me, pay me for sex. And so it just, <clears throat> I didn't know how to receive that. I didn't know how to receive like wholesome, non-sexual physical contact. Um, that was a big adjustment for me. Even now when I hug people, I feel a little weird about it because I'm like, I'm touching another person. <laughs> and... I don't know how to handle this, <laughs> but basically that's literally, it's, it's a very weird situation uh, to be in because like hugging and things are so socially normal and acceptable that they happen among people who do not have sexual relationships. So, um, that was, a, a definitely a mind swirl for me. Like I just could not, I couldn't fathom that anyone would love me and not want something from me. And so something as simple as a hug felt like, okay, now what do I have to repay you with? Because you did something nice for me. Um, but yes, Amy, now you can give me a hug. <laughs> um, so one of the questions, which I thought was a really good question, was from a woman named Ella. Um, and Ella just kind of asked me, like, what what is it that kept you going once you figured out that you were not? going to escape or get out as quickly maybe as you had hoped. Um, and I would have to say, oh, number one, okay, so having a child outside of the situation that was like waiting for me to come home was definitely a big motivator to keep it go, like to keep myself going and to not um, just kind of give up in that situation. It's, you know, it's hard to not want to numb yourself, but I was also very mindful of the fact that like I did not want to develop a drug problem on top of the other problems that I was dealing with. <laughs> and I knew that that was going to make my battle a hundred times harder when I got out. And so I kind of just used my, my child and my son as motivation to, um, to keep going and, and to not just let him kill me or to not just run away and, you know, disappear <laughs> because I always thought that coming home meant death for me. You know, I was threatened with violence so often. Um, and I think, you know, fear is a very strong motivator. <laughs> so, um, I also, I think, so my second answer to that question is going to be, uh, dissociation. I mentally removed myself from the situation on a very regular basis. Um, it was something I learned how to do as a child through my trauma then. And I just, I just wasn't there. Um, I tell people commonly that there are a lot of times when I talk about the trafficking, especially if I'm talking in just kind of a general sense, it almost feels like I'm recounting like a movie that I watched and I just know really well, um, it doesn't always feel like it was me. And it's not until I have to recount like very explicit details, uh, where I have to kind of close my eyes and imagine it. And then I'm like, Oh, that was me. 
Um, okay. That actually happened. Thought that was a dream. No, but you know, I, um, I wasn't mentally present for a majority of the time that I was there. So, um, one of the other questions that Ella asked was, um, a little bit of a personal question, but not a big deal. It's a very common question that I get is like, what did you do when you were on your period or on your monthly cycle? Like how did you work during that time? Um, and Jack did not care at all, uh, what was going on with your body and whether or not you could, um, work, you know, hygienically, <laughs> he didn't really care. So, um, it, we found a lot of different methods. Honestly, the good thing about being around other women who were in the same situation was as me was just that I got some tips and tricks, um, lots of baby wipes and just different things that you can use so that the, the trick doesn't know that you're on your period. And it was a very annoying week. I'll tell you that <laughs> it was the most annoying, but also it's kind of a relief. Um, in this sex trafficking world, every time you get your period, you kind of are rejoicing because you didn't get pregnant that month. You know, there wasn't a condom that broke or something that had a hole in it or somebody, you know, slipped it off in the middle and tried not to tell you. So that's a common thing. But um, it, it was a weird like, yay, okay, but if it could be over now. <laughs> so that was definitely not... Um, the most fun of situations, but we made it work. Um, especially, yeah, when there was multiples of us there, sometimes if it was your period week, you'd say, you know, Hey, I'm not feeling so well, but since you're already here, you know, do you want to see this girl? <laughs> that way we still got the money and maybe we could help each other out. Um, but after we were together for so long, everyone knows those things just sync up. So <laughs> then we were screwed, <laughs> but um, and then I think, so my like number one question that I get asked on a very regular basis is why didn't you leave? Like you were outside walking around by yourself. Why didn't you go? And I would love to say like, I was chained up or I was on a leash or I couldn't leave or I mean, I could have, I physically could have walked away, but the amount of mental control that Jack had over me was just very, <sighs> when, again, I think, and I've talked about this before, when you tie in the manipulation and the mind control and the abuse with the love and the fantasy feelings and the fake version of himself that he's selling you, um, it makes it hard to decide to leave. Um, you know, <laughs> if, if I wanted to leave him because he was hurting me, you know, then it was the fear that, well, he said he's going to hurt my family, you know, or he said he's going to hurt my friends or he says he has addresses for, you know, where to find people that mean things to me. Like it was a common, you know, all the time, to hear about what would happen if I tried to leave him or put his freedom at stake. And <clears throat> between that and I think there was a big part of me that didn't want to give up hope that this was all fake. Like I didn't 
you know, at the beginning, I didn't want to admit that I had gotten duped, you know, and then I got myself into a situation that I couldn't get out of, you know, so I couldn't leave. That's why I didn't. If I would, if I could have, I would have. If I could have just walked away scot-free and not had any concerns about what would happen afterwards. But as a mother and having the, the safety of your child threatened, you know, you just do things. You know, I've had people ask me before or, or not even ask me. I've just I've had people say like, oh, I don't think I could ever do that. And I'm like, yeah, you'd be surprised what you do when your life is at stake. And it's true. People don't think about, you know what you can force your body to do or your mind to do when there's not any other choice. It's a, it's a crappy situation, but it definitely can expose some strengths that you didn't know you had. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this second episode of season two. I'm so glad you were here. I wish that there were some more questions that I would have gotten put in so we could make this episode a little bit longer. If you want to submit a question, please feel free to message Bought by the Hour on Facebook or you can find me, Jill Jones. Also, you guys can go to my site on Anchor. It's anchor.fm forward slash bought by the hour. And you can leave me a voice message there with any of your questions that you would like included in the next question and answer episode. Always, if you guys could please share this podcast with your friends, your family, on your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of that. It would be a great help. And I would just love to spread the word some more and help heal. Thank you guys so much for being here and I can't wait to see you next week.